Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. Worker unrest in the United Kingdom, the largest wave of strikes in a decade. We're talking nurses, civil servants, bus drivers, even rail workers. Today on the show, we'll check in with the Maritime Trades Department of the AFL-CIO and the Lima, Ohio Building Trades. Welcome to the Thursday, January 5th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Remember this. If you like a show, just share that show. We count all the downloads, and more and more people are listening to America's Workforce. We appreciate that. And if you miss a show, just go to awfpodcast.com, awfpodcast.com. Dan Duncan's going to be our first guest on the show today. He serves as Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Maritime Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. MaritimeTrades.org is their website. Dan served in that position since April of 2011, and uh, he worked as a newspaper reporter in Tennessee and Florida before becoming director of the Fort Lauderdale Senior Employment Program for the National Council of Senior Citizens. Then... If you go back to 1987, he was hired by the Seafarers International Union, worked in Jacksonville, Florida, and then in 2000, he was transferred to the Maritime Trades Department, where he served as assistant to the Seafarers president. He's also been active in the North Virginia Central Labor Council, serving in a variety of roles, and was elected president of Virginia's largest labor council, Back in 2006, now known as the Northern Virginia Labor Federation. Well, today we're going to concentrate on the Maritime Trades Department and the Jones Act. This is an interesting scenario that's playing out in the northeastern part of the country. We all know that energy prices have gone up. And anytime energy prices go up or any prices that go up, You got politics that rears its ugly head. And right now, there's uh, six governors. Let's see. Governor of Massachusetts, Connecticut, Maine, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, and Vermont. And we're talking Democrats and Republicans. They are blaming the Jones Act. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) They're blaming the Jones Act for the high energy prices in the Maritime Trades Department is coming out saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, slow down here. It's got nothing to do with higher energy costs. So what the Maritime Trades Department did, they sent a letter to all those respected governors, and they said, okay, here's the deal. The suspension, if you want to suspend the Jones Act for delivery of, and we're talking liquid natural gas, it's not going to change anything. Blaming the Jones Act is a political soundbite, not a real solution. A Jones Act waiver would not reduce prices to consumers in the northeastern part of the country. LNG, 
liquefied natural gas sells at a global market price. New England would still be the subject of spot market LNG prices, whether the gas arrives is sourced domestically or internationally. We'll get into all the details on all this, but uh, there's a long history of playing political football with the Jones Act, which goes back so many decades. And uh, I recall, too, they wanted to uh, suspend it, and I think they did for a short time when the hurricane hit Puerto Rico. And again, we're not talking about changing things for the better. It actually changes things for the worse. And we'll explain what the Jones Act is all about. There's a long history here that uh, Dan is very uh, acclimated to. And we'll also talk about the uh, outstanding efforts by a number of unions across the country assisting hurricane victims in Puerto Rico and Florida. Dan uh, has talked about that many times on the show. So Dan Duncan will be our first guest. Then we're going to go to Rick Perdue. Rick is president of the Lima Building and Construction Trades Council. And uh, we're talking about a council that has about 2,500 members, 16 skilled trades across northwestern Ohio. And uh, they're responsible for about 2,500 jobs, $125 million in wages, $65 million in benefits. They're spread over seven counties. Some of the uh, companies that they work with include Dominion Energy, Procter & Gamble. There's a big one. Ford, Honda. General Dynamics, St. Rita's Medical Center. They also do uh, a lot of maintenance work in uh, various uh, areas over there in northwestern Ohio. We'll talk about uh, the future of work in that area, apprenticeship programs, getting into the schools, making sure we connect kids with those pathways to the middle class. We always talk about that on the show. So uh, Rick Perdue will be joining us as our second guest here on America's Workforce. And now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. At the close of last year, the United Kingdom saw its largest wave of strikes in over a decade. The strikes span the health, education, transport, and civil service sectors. In late December, nurses staged their largest strike in over 100 years, which is kind of rare. They have a national health care system in Britain, universal health care, and it's been working relatively well, but obviously the nurses are upset with what's going on. That strike activity is still continuing this year, yesterday. British rail workers began a week-long strike. Here's the rundown. Nurses, ambulance workers, civil servants, bus drivers. They're talking about joining a strike probably this week or next week. Yesterday, the leader of the Trades Union Congress, which is Britain's National Trade Union Federation, called for a meeting with the prime minister and urged him to come up with a fair deal to calm everything down. As far as the rail workers are concerned, the National Union of Rail, Maritime, and Transport Workers are currently striking in 48-hour periods. It started on Tuesday, went through yesterday, and will continue on, let's see, Saturday through Sunday. The impact of the strike is far-reaching. The strike involves 40,000 workers. It affects rail systems across Wales, Scotland, and England, 
and up to 14 train operating companies. Rail workers held similar strikes in December before the holidays, and the prime minister responded with plans to pass anti-strike laws, particularly targeting the rail industry. Kind of similar to what happened here with the rail workers. That bill targeting railroads would require quote, minimum service levels to continue during strikes. The legislation was announced, but it has not been implemented, hasn't gone anywhere at this stage. Yeah, different kind of labor laws across the pond, much different. On the first day of the new year, House Republicans released a rules package for the 118th Congress, stating the party's intention to, among other things, eliminate Democrats' creation of House staff labor unions so that congressional staff are accountable to the elected officials that they serve. Keep in mind, no Republicans decided to let their staffers unionize in the last Congress. Now, mind you, congressional workers are not covered by the National Labor Relations Act, thus only received the right to organize last year after the last House passed a resolution. Got a comment here from uh, one of the uh, staffers. We organized and unionized offices in the last Congress, and we're not going to stop in the new Congress. When we fight, we win, and we're ready to take on any anti-worker battles that may come our way. Now, there's some question about whether the House Republicans can lawfully strip away this right through the rules package, apparently. Last year's House resolution on staff unions just implemented a provision of the Congressional Accountability Act of 1995, and it's not certain that the new Congress, whenever they take effect, obviously there's some problems going on in the House right now, but right now many are saying they just can't take that away. So we'll keep our eyes on that one. For the past couple of months, labor unions for Disney employees continued negotiations with the Walt Disney Company over issues like wages, benefits, and retirement. Now, those talks began in the fall when contracts for various unionized Disney employees expired at the beginning of October of last year. Now, part of the talks have involved the unions asking Disney to increase the minimum wage to $18 an hour along with increasing the pay of those who make closer to that by $3 an hour to keep up with the cost of inflation. In December, Disney shared a statement on the talk stating, we have presented a strong and meaningful offer that far outpaces Florida's minimum wage by at least $5 an hour and immediately takes starting wages for certain roles, including bus drivers, housekeepers, and culinary up to a minimum of $20 an hour while providing a path to $20 an hour for all other full-time non-tipped roles. Local uh, 373, which is one of the unions involved, has shared an update on their Facebook page. The union wrote at Disney, all six unions will return to the bargaining table on January 9th and 10th. That would be next Monday and Tuesday. They continued that they asked Disney to present us with their best offer when they meet. So that's the latest on what's going on in the Magic Kingdom. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Dan Duncan on behalf of the Maritime Trades Department of the AFL-CIO coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. 
from roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.com. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to Washington right now. Welcome a dear friend, also a supporter of America's workforce. His name is Dan Duncan, and he serves as Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Maritime Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. It's kind of interesting the way the AFL-CIO is set up. They have a number of uh, departments like the Transportation Trades Department, and I just referenced the Maritime Trades Department. I believe there's about six or seven different uh, departments. There's the Metal Trades Department, too, that we featured on the show. Dan Duncan! How we do? Happy New Year, brother. What's happening? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Well, I don't know what's happening. Uh, you know, we're in D.C. in the uh, land of Oz or whatever you want to call it <laughs> for the last couple of days. Uh, 
Let's just hope something gets settled so the country can move on. (laughs) I know, I know. It's amazing what's going on. The world is watching the chaos in Washington right now. But let's talk about, well, I guess there's some chaos going on in New England, and it deals with uh, energy prices. Here's what I don't understand. First of all, we have to educate our listeners, Dan, and you and I have talked about this many times on the show, the Jones Act. We have to explain what the Jones Act is, and sadly, the Jones Act over the years has become a political football. If anything goes wrong, it seems like, in America and sometimes the world, you got to blame the Jones Act. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. well, let, let's start right there. Tell us about the Jones Act, what it is, why it's there. Go ahead. The Jones Act is a part of the 1920 Merchant Marine Act that simply says cargo moved from one domestic port to another domestic port must be carried aboard a U.S. flag, U.S.-owned, U.S.-crewed, U.S.-built vessel. It is part of a series of laws called cabotage. And cabotage basically is the reason why you can't go from Hopkins Airport to Detroit on Lufthansa. I mean, you've got to take United or Delta or Southwest or somebody like that because it's the transportation, the movement of cargo, and passengers are considered cargo, is is dedicated to the individuals in that country. The Jones Act is not unique. Uh, We did a study, or we worked with a group that did a study uh, out of London, and it was released in 2018, showing nearly 100 nations around the world have cabotage to protect the work of their own individuals and their citizens. Mm -hmm. So when people start saying it's unique to the United States, well, yes, the two words Jones Act is unique to the United States. Cabotage is part of the uh, international uh, method of, mo- of trade. And, and third, uh, for, uh, for people who uh, under- understand Davis-Bacon, the Jones Act is the Davis-Bacon of the uh, Merchant Marine. Mm-hmm. So basically we're protecting American jobs with the Jones Act, right? We're keeping American jobs. And in this time of terrorism and, and international problems, it's also Security Act because inter- our own citizens know what's right in the ports, know what's normal in the ports, and keep an eye out for stuff like this. Boy, with that being said, you'd, you'd think there'd be no controversy. You know, in the, ever since 9-11, that's all we talk about. We talk yeah, about and- security, national security. It's important to protect the people in this country. But- and, I don't, and I don't bring this up as something that's recent. Uh, part of the reason why the Jones Act was created actually had something to do with, a, with steamboats on the Great Lakes catching fire and passengers dying in the 1800s. They wanted to find a way to protect them because the steamboats were internationally owned and there was no protection from the Coast Guard or from any other uh, law agency. So the Jones Act was created to protect back in, uh, as far back as 1920. Again, protecting jobs protecting consumers protecting lives all right talk to me about what's going on in the new england area and and we've got not just uh, republicans but democratic governors that somehow think that the jones act needs to be waived because of energy costs now what's going on here dan well this this goes back to before the holidays and folks up in new england started seeing a situation where LNG prices, liquefied natural gas prices, were going up, up, and up. Gee, what are the chances of that happening with the international market prices going up because of the war in Ukraine? 
So these guys decide uh, that maybe we should ask Secretary Granholm of the Energy Department for a waiver so that they could bring in natural gas to uh, ports in New England uh, on foreign flagships to, quote, save money. Well, the secretary, to her uh, benefit, said, no, you can't do this. Uh, and secondly, when we heard about this, we started doing the research. LNG, natural gas, is on a world spot market. And mm-hmm. several of our folks did some work on this and found out that for years, New England is one of the – how can I put this properly? With uh, New England doesn't have the pipeline system that other parts of the country do. LNG or natural gas or petroleum is moved um, predominantly across the United States in pipelines. But New uh-huh. England doesn't have that structure, so they have to depend on uh, ships bringing it in. And when ships bring it in and you buy it on the spot market, you pay the spot market price. You're not paying uh, what you hope to pay for. You're paying what the international market says to pay. So the prices were going up, and these folks, and they were Democrats and Republicans, as you said, thought that they could get a waiver and save what it would turn out would save maybe a penny. So, Dan, what I'm hearing in this conversation, it sounds like this is an infrastructure problem because they don't have a pipeline system. They never had a pipeline system even on on the planning boards here to, to, to rectify this problem. Is that right? Again, I'm not an expert on this, as I understand it. They don't have as, as up-to-date or as, as thorough a pipeline system. Yes, there is a pipeline system up there, but not as thorough as we've got in the other parts of the country. And so, yes, they have been dependent for many, uh, many decades on petroleum needs coming via uh, tankers. And you're correct. It is an infrastructure problem. It is an infrastructure problem that's been ignored for, for decades. And that was something that the American Maritime Partnership, which Maritime Trades is part of, it's both union and non-union shipping companies and, and others uh, of interest with U.S. flag, pointed out that, you know, you, you guys have sat on this and not done the work, not done what was needed to uh, keep you from falling into this situation. Now, where are we with this situation? Because the, the prices, well, gas prices have come down. They're starting to inch up again. But uh, is it still at an all-time high over in that area? And uh, and what's the response here? They, I mean, these these uh, these governors are trying to to uh, interfere with, with federal law. I mean, I, I don't even get that part. Can you explain that? Well, the... Explain it is one thing. Uh, <laughs> the the governors from we have not heard anything uh, since uh, before the holidays about the situation. Once it was said no, once uh, they couldn't get their way around certain uh, acts with the uh, they went to the White House, they went to the Secretary of Energy, and they've all said no because this was not a matter of national defense. Look, the U.S. flag industry, the maritime unions will agree to it, and we've seen this in Puerto Rico when there's been a problem. We've seen this when there's been hurricanes. We, you know, If there's not a U.S. flag vessel available, yes, we don't want to sit there and say, you can't have this because we're not available. When times of emergency, we will allow a waiver to take place, as limited waivers. Uh-huh. But this was not considered an emergency. This was not considered an act of national defense. And this is why uh, the president, uh, the White House, and, and the Secretary of Energy said, no, no, you don't meet the needs for something like this to happen. And, and there was basically a wave that they were trying to find a show that, look, we're trying to do something to lower your costs, when in reality, it wouldn't lower a penny on the consumer. 
Unbelievable. But it's not the first time we see this. This came up and it reminded me of something that happened in New Jersey nine years ago where the state of New Jersey didn't plan ahead during a harsh winter and needed more salt for their roads. They found the salt in Maine and claimed that they couldn't get it to uh, New Jersey in time because they had to use a foreign flagship. Well, we did the research on it and turned out the foreign flagship wasn't even available. And secondly, when they called this crisis uh, and said it's the Jones Act, it's the Jones Act, we found a ship for them and they had the, uh, the salt within a matter of three days. Unbelievable. <laughs> Again, political football here with the Jones Act. Dan Duncan joining us on our live line. Dan serves as Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Maritime Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. MaritimeTrades.org. We'll continue our conversation with Dan. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Rick Perdue on behalf of the Lima, Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll free at 1-800-443-3752. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Iron Workers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 iron workers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. 
With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union ironworkers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our ironworkers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce Radio and Podcast. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Let's go back to Washington and rejoin Dan Duncan on behalf of the Maritime Trades Department of the AFL-CIO, MaritimeTrades.org. We're talking about the Jones Act, how it's been used as a political football. You were telling me about uh, some legislation that you were able, well, there's, sometimes you can get through to the Congress, sometimes you can't, but... Uh, in the defense appropriations bill, this was what, in the last Congress, you were able to insert some language to uh, help protect the Jones Act? Can you explain that part, Dan? Absolutely. And one of the great things about uh, the maritime industry is we are very bipartisan. Uh, we're one of the few departments and, and unions that have friends on both sides of the aisle, even though uh, it may not appear that anybody has any friends on one side of the aisle this week. Uh, but anyways, uh, in the Defense Appropriation Act, we were able to get language in there to try to prevent something that happened uh, earlier in uh, 2022 uh, when hurricanes hit Puerto Rico. Uh, they were having problems getting uh, petroleum, getting liquefied natural gas to run their, uh, their power plants. And one foreign petroleum company put some put some of this gas onto a uh, foreign flagship set it out in the caribbean in hopes it did this days before the hurricane i mean this is this is just sad and tragic in hopes that the hurricane would hit puerto rico which it did and then said oh there's an emergency there's no other vessels available to take this gas and get it to the uh, puerto rico so that they can uh, fire up their generators mm-hmm. the sad truth was when they filled the ship up, there was an American flagship sitting there waiting to load, take that same load, and the company decided to put it on a foreign flagship in hopes of making some more money and put it in, the, in their own pockets. They used the emergency to get a waiver to get the uh, stuff delivered to Puerto Rico, and it turned out the ship had to wait to offload because there was no place to offload it because it, the, the petroleum tanks on the island were full. <laughs> So in the Defense Appropriation Act, language was rewritten to make it harder to claim such a waiver and to do something like this where you sit off the island, hope there's a disaster, and take advantage of it. You now must follow the the guidelines and go through the Maritime Administration, the Department of Transportation, and the Department of Energy uh, before such a waiver can be claimed, and the waiver has to be claimed days in advance. Dan, let me ask you, uh, you, you mentioned how you have friends on both sides of the aisle. Uh, unfortunately, it, it, it seems to come up, especially in emergencies like uh, like hurricanes. And in Puerto Rico, I recall some years ago, I think this is when uh, Trump was in the White House. They tried to waive the Jones Act, and it had nothing to do with the fact that it was going to make any difference because they couldn't even get, you know, the infrastructure of the country was pretty much ruined. They were able to get to the ports, but they couldn't. They couldn't uh, actually unload anymore because of the infrastructure and all that. 
I'm just wondering, why has it become such a, in your estimation, I, I, I know this is kind of speculation on your behalf, but you've got such a great history with the Maritime Trains Department. Why is it? It's just a, because of an attack on unions or what? what what's, what's the problem here? It's an attack on unions. It's an attack on the fact that American workers get paid a decent wage who build the ships and who uh, crew the ships. Uh, basically, we are the standard for the world. And it's an effort by those who want to make a few extra cents, a few extra dollars, to put it in their own pockets rather than take care of the consumers. Uh, it's, look, the Jones Act has been attacked ever since it came about in the 1920s. It is something that's perpetual. When I used to be the communications director for the Seafarers Union and I'd meet with our members, they'd ask, why are you always telling us to fight for the Jones Act? And we had to tell them, it's, it doesn't matter what time of day, what year it is, somebody will find a way to go after it, and we have to stay on alert. Because if we don't, the minute somebody uh, opens the door and, and lets somebody else take our jobs, you don't get them back. We're not yeah. going to see them come back. Yeah, it's a perpetual fight. It's just that it's greed. What else can I say? It's greed. If people find want to find a way to put a few more dollars in their pocket, and they don't care who they hurt. Yeah, sadly, that fight's going to continue. That's just the way it is in in, uh, in America and in a big chunk of the world today. Very sad. Very sad. And that's why, in the seventy-seven years that the Maritime Trade Department's been around, the number one issue all seventy-seven years is protection of the Jones Act. Let's talk about uh, what um, unions have done here, especially, I mean, first responders ever since 9-11. Think about what happened in New York that day. And anytime there, there's whether an attack on, on the country or we're attacked by Mother Nature, and it seems those attacks are more frequent these days, but the effort by unions all around the country to assist and, and like in Puerto Rico, in Florida, look what, look what happened in Florida this past year. Can you speak to that? I mean, that, I think that deserves some attention here on the show. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Uh, it, you, it's incredible. The, the heart that the people in the unions have when Puerto Rico got the hurricanes before uh, Florida did, uh, the seafarers union working with a lot of other unions reopened their ports, uh, in Philadelphia, in, uh, and uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and Fort Lauderdale, and in Houston, to collect goods to put into containers. The bakery workers, I mean, they, they, they went nuts making stuff to, that could be sent that would not spoil in a container to get down to Puerto Rico. Uh, the machinists, the, the, uh, the other transportation unions, the elect oh my gosh, the electrical workers just showing up to try to help put power back together. So we're all lining this up for Puerto Rico, and the next thing we know, Florida gets hit. Well, some of the stuff that we were gathering, uh, and I say we as because my main union is the seafarers, were gathering, was diverted to Florida to help them out. Uh, I was on calls for about four months. Uh, how do we help Puerto Rico? How do we help uh, Florida out? And the outpouring, whether it was money, whether it was uh, people volunteering their time and their efforts. I mean, here's a group that you wouldn't even think of, the teachers' unions. Teachers started showing up uh, to tie to help. To, Make sure the kids have some education, get some schooling. Gets, uh, in fact, Randy Weingarten and her, and her union led an effort to get books to Puerto Rico. I think the number was 50,000 books. And our people in Puerto Rico uh, would put them in back of pickup trucks. They drive to remote areas where they hadn't seen any type of support in, in, in months. And they would. Sh our guy in Puerto Rico said it was like being Santa Claus 
kids getting a book, you would have thought they were giving them a million dollars. It was just the fact that unions came together, found a way to get it done, and and get stuff to help people to make them feel like they're they're important and that life's going to go on. And that's the story that needs to be told in America. You you may recall Dan the flooding in Kentucky uh, oh. l- last year. That was devastating. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had Bill Londrigan on the show a couple of times, and he boy, I tell you, that guy is a scholar in so many different ways. I mean, he set up he set up a command post, organized all the unions and uh, got them helping out because a lot of those victims were union brothers and sisters. Absolutely. And And, and that's why uh, we haven't turned our backs on the mine workers in in Alabama. Here it is uh, getting close to a second year that they've been on strike. But yet uh, we made sure that the unions made sure that there were toys and presents for the kids whose uh, parents are on strike. Yeah, it's amazing. We we we. We protect our own, but we also protect everybody else. I mean, we don't look at it and say, oh, you're not union, you don't get a toy. Or you're not union, I'm not going to put your electricity back on. Our job is to make sure our communities are strong. Yeah, exactly. And that story, like like I said, needs to be told. And that's why, why we have this show called America's Workforce, too, to promote what unions do. And uh, they've got a long history of doing that. And they will continue to do that because I'll tell you, this crazy weather is not going to go away. We're going to see more hurricanes. We're going to see more tornadoes. We're going to see more flooding. And the first responders, many of them, almost all of them, are union brothers and sisters. And they deserve the respect, obviously, that they should be getting on the job. That's what this just, is all just about. Just this morning, I was watching what was happening in California once again. And there's our IBEW union brothers and sisters for PG&E trying to put the power or restore power for people who've lost it in the middle of all those storms. Yeah, amazing. So, um you're kind of wrapping up your career here, aren't you? Isn't there, there's some changes in the wind here for Dan Duncan, right? <laughs> well, I tell you what, next month will mark 50 years since I got my first union card. And uh, I'll be stepping de- stepping aside as the Secretary Treasurer of the Maritime Trades at the end of March. It's uh, It's been a wonderful ride. It isn't going to be over, but it's uh, this, this phase of my life will be uh, uh, sailing along and moving on to another port and doing some other projects. Another important, no pun intended there, right? No, not at all. (laughs) We should point out, too, that uh, Dan is a dues-paying member of the Seafarers and one of our sponsors here, the CWA, the uh, Newspaper Guild. This would be Local 35. Where is Local 35, by the way? D.C. It's the Washington Baltimore Newspaper Guild. Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, CWA, proud sponsors, the News uh, Guild uh, kind of aligned with them some years ago. So that's cool that, uh, that you still have that. And you're still uh, still cranking it out. That's good stuff yeah. there. And one of the All things right. I'm still and one of the things I'm still proud of is my original union card is framed in my office. I was a I sacked groceries at a Kroger, and I still have my retail clerk's card. There you go. There you go, buddy. All right, Dan Duncan, Maritime Trades Department, Executive Secretary Treasurer, MaritimeTrades.org. Anything else you'd like to add before we button it up? Happy New Year's to our brothers and sisters. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Rick Perdue is with the Lima, Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. He's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America. 
delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Before we uh, join Rick Perdue on behalf of the uh, Lima Building and Construction Trades Council, I just want to read a note here from the Alliance for Retired Americans, a group that we proudly feature on this show every month with uh, Rich Fiesta, who serves as executive director. The Alliance applauds the new provisions of the Inflation Reduction Act. President Biden signed the act into law last August, but numerous provisions became effective at the beginning of this year, the new year. Among the provisions taking effect are capping insulin co-pays for Medicare beneficiaries at $35. That's huge. Providing free vaccines for adult Medicare beneficiaries, requiring companies that raise the price of prescriptions sold to Medicare faster than the rate of inflation to pay rebates and other benefits. Rich said it took many years of activism to get here, but finally 
We're seeing drug prices come down, and Alliance members should be proud of the role that they played in making this a reality. Certainly good news for seniors in America. All thanks to good policy coming out of Washington. Let's go to line number two right now and welcome to the show, Mr. Rick Perdue. Rick serves as president of the Lima Building and Construction Trades Council. And we're talking about uh, 2,500 members. Let's see, 16 different trades, a lot of work in northwestern Ohio. Rick Perdue, Happy New Year. How are we doing, brother? Well, Happy New Year to you. We're doing great. How are you today? Good, good, good. Am I accurate in saying that? It's still about 2,500 members strong or what? Oh, yeah, we're growing every day. We're out there. We're out there seeking and finding whoever we can. So There you go. There you go. What is it, seven counties in northwestern Ohio? Is that accurate? Yes, that's, that's accurate, yes. So talk to me about the work in that area. We, we always uh, like to zero in on certain parts of various states, various regions uh, to see what's going on. I checked out your website, and apparently uh, there's a there's a lot of contractors there that you're working with. Some big names like Procter and Gamble, Ford, Honda, General Dynamics. Uh, talk to me about the workload over there, brother. Hey, well, it's pretty busy right now. It has been busy. It's starting to slack off just a little here in the first quarter. But we're looking from the second quarter on in 23 to be, you know, really busy with, you know, work going on at P&G. You know, they're supposed to be doing some uh, additions and everything up there, hoping that we're successful there with some of our contractors. There's also some um, – they're um, um, redoing some lines there, too. I have a couple contractors that's been successful there with the work. We also have work going on at some of the hospitals at Lima Memorial and some work coming up at St. Rita's. Um, there's a animal testing lab at Charles Rivers Lab that's out in Spencerville that just did a nice big addition that, you know, it's going pretty well out there too as well for a lot of our contractors. Um, just This is all mainly just in the Lima area right there, Ohio Orthopedic. They just put on a big addition in the past year, and they're looking to do some remodeling and also another big addition. So that project's probably going to turn into something like a two-year project right there. And we still have members going down to Sydney, Ohio. Cargill down there did a big addition. Um, with that big addition there going on, there's also a, a battery plant that's they're moving dirt down there right now. Haven't heard of any contractors yet getting any of the work, but, you know, work has started there, and the bidding process is is beginning, and uh, they're moving a lot of dirt. It's supposed to be a film of some sort for the batteries. You also got the work coming up in Columbus as well that a lot of people are traveling over there for. Now, you mentioned the battery plant. That's the Honda battery plant you're talking about there? There's two different plants. There's one, the battery plant for Honda. That's going to be just... You know, it would be in the Columbus, mostly in the Columbus jurisdiction. It's down around Route 71, around Jeffersonville. But also in Sydney, Ohio, there's a plant that's going there that's going to make some kind of a film, from what I'm being told, that goes in the batteries or whatever. So that's they're moving a lot of ground there, too, as well. So that's going to be a pretty big plant. Haven't heard who is the main GC yet, but they are there, 
you know, moving dirt right now. So, and that's, that's going to be pretty huge too, as well. Those plants are sprouting up all over, you know, between here and down through Tennessee. We've been uh, talking a whole lot about the, uh, the Intel plant. Now, are you saying that some of your members are going to, going to be working at that plant in central Ohio from, from Northwestern Ohio, they're going to be traveling over there to do the work. I would say, yes, that will be a strong possibility. It's, you know, for the, everything that's going to happen and the people that they're going to need on that project, you know, they're going to be pulling from every source that they can. So it's, it's going to, they're going to be needing a lot of individuals over there to fill the job needs. Yes. Well, that just makes me want to ask the question. We're, we're you're going to have to crank out some new members over there. How, how's your apprenticeship program going over there in Lima? Well, most of our apprenticeship programs are ramped up, and everybody's, you know, we're all out there seeing who who that next individual is going to be. We're attending a lot of um, career center schools, also high schools. You know, um, I belong to a committee that's with Apollo Schools right there in Lima. Um, we're all there looking for, you know, that when these kids graduate, someplace for them to go. You know, college is not the only answer now. You know, the trades offer great benefits. And, you know, the package deals that we all have, you know, it's not just a job. It's a career with, you know, early retirement and everything and great benefits. Yeah, yeah, and and a lot of work that's happening right now. I uh, I want to share with you some uh, some uh, conversation that I had a couple of days ago with an individual in uh, Upper Michigan. Mike Smith is his name, and uh, they started this program last year. It was a huge success. They're going to continue to do it this year, and they targeted kids fourteen to seventeen with a paid apprenticeship. A paid. They were making twelve bucks an hour. And uh, in fact, at the end of it, this was a six week, it was a summer camp. It was a summer camp. And I'm, and he said, it, it's, it's really taken off over there. Do you see anything like that? I mean, to attract young kids into the trades, because, uh, you know, we, we say this, you, you heard the whole line there, Rick, it's a pathway to the middle class. You can get a really yes. good, this is not a job. This is a career for life. I'm just wondering, Correct. is anybody talking about something like that over there? Um, we're looking at all avenues. I mean, everybody's, we're, we have, in my local, we have started what we call a school to apprenticeship program. And that's where a kid that, uh, an individual that's still in high school, that's in between the ages of 17 and 18, a senior, you know, they can go to school for two weeks and they work for two weeks. And that's been pretty successful with us. And usually a contractor will take two individuals that way. You know, they're not without. How's that sound? So one, they've got their bases covered, you know, when one is going to school, the other one is working. So that's been pretty successful for us. Um, we're doing, we're looking at every avenue we can to get people in. And we're, you know, at we are looking at younger ages too because a lot of times when you're looking at the juniors and seniors a lot of them have already got their avenue planned you know everybody is visiting the schools i will say that much yeah makes a lot of sense 
What about organizing here and maybe converting some of those non-union contractors over to uh, to the union side? And I know your area, Lima, Ohio, northwestern Ohio, kind of conservative. Um, I, I, you could probably speak to that a little bit better than myself, but how are we doing in that respect? Um, all the crafts are out there organizing. A lot of us have put on extra organizers with the upcoming workload and everything. Um, it's a daily process. We're looking at all avenues. I know we're looking, you know, we're going online with social media and everything with Indeed and all that. We're looking at everyone and, you know, we're getting a lot of applications turned into us to where we, you know, we're doing a lot of interviews and, you know, that's been kind of a successful route there in itself, you know, and recruiting some people, you know, it's, you know, some people just need to have their eyes open because they don't know everything what entails when you become a union member, you know, um, mm-hmm. with all the benefits and everything. Cause a lot of them out there, they're making good money on the hour, but they're also having to pay for their insurance and, you know, and, put into their 401k to where a package deal through the union trades, you know, that's all part of your package where it doesn't come off your check. So right. it's a good deal. Well, if you go right to the website, you can read about the impact that the Lima building trades has on the, the economy there. Again, 2,500 jobs, $125 million in wages, $65 million in benefits. The benefits are unbelievable. They really, really are. You're talking yes. uh, a defined benefit plan, in some cases uh, an annuity. Uh, the, the sky's the limit. And right now there's a lot of jobs that are, are available, especially in the trades. Uh, is it across the board on all trades, uh, Rick? Is is there one trade that's maybe in demand a little bit more? What's, what's your answer to that? Um, it, there is some trades that are a little bit more demand than others, yes. Um, I... It all depends on the package deal and the price. I mean, a lot of people, when you talk to them, most individuals, when they're coming in, everybody wants to make the most that they can. So they're they're looking at the total package, you know, and they're looking at what the on-the-check wages and everything. But as for everybody, I, I would say it's – I won't say it's equal, but everybody is out there shopping because we're all – after that individual and you know sometimes it turns into a fight you know which craft that person goes to yeah i get it rick purdue president of the lima ohio building and construction trades council limabuildingtrades.com you can also check them out on facebook as well you take care stay strong stay safe and we'll talk down the road okay brother thank you have a good day All right, that's it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, the Central Ohio Building Trades and Fred Redman, Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, our first Friday with Fred. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.